Welcome back to The Peripheral. A quick update. I want to thank everyone for the response I've received for my last episode, So You Want to Be a Podcaster. It was overwhelming. The amount of feedback, messages, and even new patrons I've received from that episode, it, it actually brings a tear to my eye. And I never know how every episode is going to be received. It's made a huge splash in the community amongst fellow podcasters and listeners. Since then, I've expanded on the conversation. I went on a crawl space with the missing Warren Murray guys, Tim and Lance. I also was interviewed by Crime Sphere with Mike the Morph, Voice of the Victim, and Ignorance was Bliss. So if you want to hear me talk more on the topic, Go check out Crawl Space, Crime Sphere, Voice of the Victim, and Ignorance Was Bliss. Today's episode is going to be some scary stories, sort of in the vein of the month of October and Halloween. But as most of you know, I don't go for the paranormal or things like that. I talk about things that are really scary, that happen in everyday life. On this episode, I speak with three men who talk about being assaulted, whether it be physically or sexually. And these events all seem to happen while they're out in the woods. Now, in an attempt to not make this about scary stories in the woods, uh, I really want people to think about how men can be victims of sexual assault and are victims at a very high rate. And sometimes they're forgotten about. And I want people to remember that victims come in all shapes and sizes, all races, all sexes. And it's something that affects us all. So it's a topic that I wanted to give more focus to. My name is Jay. I'm 41. Grew up in a pretty dysfunctional household. Dad was abusive, he was a drunk, pretty alcoholic. Beat the shit out of me for pretty minor things. Don't get me wrong, sometimes I earned a whooping for some of the stupid shit I did. I remember him punching me with a closed fist when I was eight years old, nine years old, something like that, for a minor infraction. What did you do that caused him to do this? I opened a pack of club crackers that I wasn't supposed to, I guess. I just remember him standing in the doorway of my bedroom and Closed this right to the guts, dropped me right there. Obviously, he was a big guy. I can remember him hitting my mom, all kinds of weird shit. I got woke up when I was about four or five years old to the police take me and my mom and my sister away because my mom had beat my dad. <laughs> my dad had, had tried to hurt my mom, and my mom defended herself with a weapon, knocked his ass out, and called the cops, and cops came and got us, took us to my grandparents. My dad put me in dangerous situations. For example, he would leave me in the car at night. Friday nights in the wintertime, summertime, whenever. So he could go into the bar and drink. Sometimes my sister would be with me. Sometimes it would just be me and my dad. A couple times I got home from school when I was in kindergarten. He'd be gone drinking and lock the doors. I'd have no way to get in. And lived out in the country and a bunch of woods around us. And, you know, as a little kid, your imagination starts to really go crazy when you're in that situation. So I'd be terrified of just being out there alone. That just continued until they divorced. When they did divorce, it was funny because the counselors would always, how do you feel about them breaking up and being divorced? And it's great. Yeah. There's no more fighting. And I guess it was hard for them to wrap their mind around the idea of 
kid being excited to go home to no more fighting, no more abuse, no more worrying about what happens when dad gets home tonight drunk. It was very freeing. That was my early childhood. Once again, when I was a little kid, I can't remember the exact age of this. It was between eight and 10 years old. We were swimming with my godfather. Skinny dipping got brought up. And I think what it was is because he didn't have plumbing at the time and he would use this lake as kind of like his bathtub. You know, I remember saying, you go in your naked, you skin dip? Yeah. And he's like, I'm naked right now. Come feel. I was like, no. I mean, I knew better than that. I mean, that was pretty messed up at the time. And I mean, just the fact he was naked in front of me, even though he was wearing water, it's still pretty fucked up. I knew that wasn't cool. And then he just played it off. It was, no, I was just joking. A bunch of years later, 15 years later, whatever, he gets arrested for child pornography. So I was like, oh, okay, now this all makes sense. When I was 11 or 12, somewhere around then, it was right around the same time my parents got divorced and everything. We were on a camping trip, and I remember it was the first time I got to be in a tent by myself, and that was pretty cool. Either growing up or whatever, it was a hot August weekend, so I was in the pool or in the lake all day, running around, playing by myself because didn't know anybody where we were at. They just had a diving board, and I was on that. And, just talk to whatever local kids, whatever, whoever would talk to you, you know, you know, that is you go away on vacation, you, you manage to make friends. And that night I'm sleeping and I wake up to being drug out of my tent and my pants being pulled down and some guy basically giving me a blowjob right then playing with my junk and kind of froze right then and there. Like, what, what is this? I remember when the guy was dressed all in black and he was pretty small. I was a kid at first. Actually, I thought it was my cousin at first. Like, this is messed up. And you know, I sat up. He, I don't know if it startled him or he's like, oh, shit. And he got out of there. Kind of wondered what would have happened if I had screamed. You know, my dad was there. He was a Marine, Vietnam vet. My uncle was there. Had a cousin there who was pretty athletic. They'd probably were chasing him down, you know. Yeah, but you didn't know what? if it was one of them. You didn't know what was going on. I didn't know who it yeah. was. I was froze, man. You're right. I was just scared and I knew something wasn't right. I froze up completely. Deer in the headlights. And yeah, I had no idea who it was. And it wasn't too long after that that another kid was kidnapped from somewhat close to that area. And didn't think much of that either at the time, but then kept this quiet for years and years and years. When I got married one night, I got drunk. I got hammered. And I told my wife, I'm like, you know, you make fun of me for these things, but this is why I think I do it. This is why I have these nightmares, I think. And this is why I can run on two, three hours of sleep all the time, four hours of sleep, because I don't, I hate sleeping. I can't sleep. I can't sleep with my feet up on the covers. Like I said, I covered my head up. That was the first time I talked about it. You don't sleep with your feet outside the covers because you're afraid somebody's going to grab them and drag you, right? Yep. It's literally a fear of mine. Like my feet, if I'm dead sleeping, my feet pop out, I wake up instantly. Mm -hmm. It terrifies me. It scares the shit out of me and that happens and I pull my feet on the covers real quick. If it's daylight out, I can just lay on the couch, take a nap without being covered up. Yeah. But at nighttime, I'm not afraid of the dark. People think, oh, you're afraid of the dark. No, I'm, I love the dark. I'm an outdoorsman. I'm outside in the dark all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of sleeping. That's what I'm afraid of because it's a vulnerable deal. And I was taking advantage of my sleep. Anyway, that, that was the first time I talked about it. After that, I never really talked about it again. I kind of left it alone and let other kid that was kidnapped that case kind of came up again a little bit and i kind of looked at the proximity to where everything happened and i'm like holy shit the same dude who did that was the one who did this to me and i contacted some people and i even talked to my wife everyone's like yeah there's a 90 percent chance that that's who it was and i just kind of blew my mind and was like holy shit just step back i guess the thing is, is i'm a big dude i'm, I'm 6'3 265 pounds but i was terrified to talk about what happened to me as a child if I'm afraid to talk about this, how many other little boys are out there? 
to or how many men are out there that this shit happened to that are afraid to talk about it. When you're a kid, you think whatever adults do is correct because they're adults. And especially in the time I grew up, what an adult says, what you did, just the way it was. And so if an adult did something to you, even if you thought it was wrong, chances are you went along with it. Doesn't Just because you went along with it doesn't mean you weren't assaulted. If a woman is raped, I feel like it's grab pitchforks, get the torches, let's go kill the monster. If a man is raped, it's like, why didn't you fight back? And I'm not saying that's across the board. And I'm not even saying maybe that's true, but that's how I feel. And I think that's how a lot of other male victims feel because it's like, you know, you're supposed to be a man, you're supposed to be macho, you're supposed to be tough. Well, yeah, but when you're a little kid, about to fight off a 30-year-old guy. I think everyone who is a victim of sexual assault, regardless of male, female, whatever, there's always that, what did you try to do to prevent this? And it's especially real when it comes to men, because it's like, well, you're right. a man. Right. The other thing, too, is I don't want people to think that, oh, you're just saying that forget women that have been raped. No, fuck that. I mean, anyone who's been assaulted needs to come forward. And I think the more men start coming forward, that would also encourage more women to come forward, too. If you make not, it's not okay to be a victim, but if you make it okay to come forward about being a victim, that's only going to help people. Do I drink too much? Hell yeah, I do pretty rowdy. But when I was younger, I lived a very unhealthy lifestyle. Started off the first time I told my story, I had to be drunk as hell. The second time I was sober starting, but I started drinking right away. Hard booze to get myself drunk, so I start talking. And now I can tell a story, and it's every time you tell it, it gets easier and easier and easier. And you find out you're not alone. The first time I told someone when I was completely sober, it was a friend of mine. It was early in the morning. I said, hey, I got to tell you something. I told him the story. And it's crazy because he looked right back at me and goes, okay, now I'm going to tell you my story. Yeah. And he had a story of when he was assaulted when he was a kid. And it was just, I'm like, okay, how messed up is that? And she was you to tell the story to, and you got one to fire right back at me. Almost every single woman I've met in my life has a story of sexual assault. And I'm sure most men in my life do too, but I've probably only heard a fraction of them. After years of this shit going on, I told my doctor here a while back, I said, I drank too much. And I told her what happened. I said, but it's no big deal. I kept up. That was always my thing. But it was no big deal. I know people have had way worse happen to them, and they're not fucked up. So I started seeing a therapist, and she's phenomenal. We started doing some stuff. She actually she diagnosed me with PTSD, and I looked right at her, and I said, I've never been in combat, though. Like, that doesn't matter. He goes, as a matter of fact, you have very severe PTSD. It's diagnosable or whatever. And I started working on that. And she was the first one who actually said what happened to me was a sexual assault. Up until then, I never really thought of it that way. I thought someone did something bad to me, you know, someone messed with me. Yeah, you do that someone, that's what you're doing. You're sexually assaulting them. It was unwanted. And that's the one thing I think that has been the catalyst to me of getting out there and getting help. You know, when you're talking, well, yeah, this happened too. And all of a sudden, it just starts snowballing. and you're laying everything out on the table, and this is just rapes like a bad movie or something. She firmly believes that most people, not most women, not most men, most people have some sort of sexual assault story that they could share. They just either A, they're afraid, like I was, come forward, or B, they don't think it was a big deal, which I've had female friends tell me stories. I'm like, dude, you were raped? Oh, no, not really. Well, yeah, you were raped. <laughs> that whole, it's not a big deal mentality, I get that, because that's what I've thought before, and yeah, it is. No one deserves to be assaulted, period. There's no reason to be hitting people and no reason to be assaulting people and no reason to be evil to people and no one asks for it. No one brings it on and honestly, get drunk once and tell somebody who's sober <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah, I just want to say this on the air. Getting drunk for your problems isn't the best, but if that's what it takes for you to let those words leave your mouth the first time 
And then every time after that, it should become a little bit easier to talk about it. Yep. And that's just it. I, right, right now, I'm completely sober. I'm on my lunch break at work. So, <laughs> But yeah, it took the first few times where booze was involved. And then now I don't go around broadcasting it, obviously. But you can connect with people on a certain level with that stuff. And when people realize that they're not alone, I guess, you know, I get being afraid. I understand why you're afraid. But you don't have to be. And as I found out, the second you start telling people about it, they're so supportive. I think I thought, oh, man, everyone's going to ridicule me for this shit. No. Everyone I've told has been very supportive, and not one person has been like, oh, my God, really? Like, surprised. It's like, oh, okay. Well, that sucks. I don't have that happen to you. What can we do to help? And that kind of been the response I've gotten. So it gets easier. And like I said, now I can talk about it. And not necessarily easily, but much easier, and I can be sober to do it. <laughs> yeah, what really stuck out to me, though, is when you said, I'm six foot two, 200 and some pounds. You're a big, intimidating guy. Nothing scares you. But words did scare you. The thought of talking about that terrified me. Reduced me to, not to tears, but I would shut down. I almost brought it up once to another friend hanging out. And I started to, and then I shut down immediately and just turned. I was just like, get the fuck out of my house. I only watch here. Yeah. And he's like, what did I do? Um, I just leave. thought of it scared the hell out of me. And, you know, he had something like that happy. And the, the nightmares are normal, whatever else is normal. And but ever since I've started therapy, the nightmares have started away that's the big thing is i sleep better it used to be i could go two or three four hours of sleep a night no problem now it's like if i don't get like six seven hours it's like shit i'm a big rugged redneck guy and i didn't want to deal with this shit anymore so oh you took the right course and i'm glad that even if you found the bravery through maybe not a normal method i'm glad you came out i'm glad you started talking about it because like you said everyone has a story and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're a big guy or a child. We, we need to share this. And hopefully one person out there hears it and says, I'm doing it. I'm going to tell my story now, too. And it's a chain reaction. And I would be willing to bet that man or woman or child, if you tell your story to somebody, pretty good chance they're going to say, hey, well, this happened to me. Unfortunately, it's very common. And very under talked about. Yeah. You know, other thing you mentioned children, like I said, the people always laughing when I tell them this, but I coach little kids football and baseball and Cub Scouts and all that stuff. My favorite thing in the world is holding little kids because I know when I'm hanging on to those little kids, there's nothing that's going to hurt them. We should, but we can't hold every kid all the time. So, and the other thing, too, is uh, having my own kids, really. I have a son and a daughter, and part of it now is for them because I can't expect them to be brave and honest if I'm not myself. I've always been a big fan of lead by example. Am I completely healthy physically? Probably. Mentally, nah, I don't know. But if I still got issues, fuck yeah. I mean, I do. I will for the rest of my life. But the coping mechanisms I use to deal with those problems need to change. That's it in a nutshell, I guess. So. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Our next guest, he is a guide on a trail who welcomes a visitor into his campsite. This is Charles. I, I don't know if I would say you're out camping, but you were uh, out uh, on a deserted road, pretty much? <laughs> yeah, it was the Blue Ridge Parkway, so I was camping. I mean, I was living also out of the truck, so it's called dirtbagging. But yeah, just kind of living in the woods and in the truck. 
and do other people camp there and, and hang out there? Yeah, people camp there. People hike there. There's tons of trails that run around the sides of it. Mm-hmm. The sides of it are public land, and the parkway itself is federal. When did this happen? 2015. You'd been out there for days or weeks? Um, yeah, I was working a job in the wilderness as a backpacking guy, so I'd be out working for eight days, and then I'd have six days to camp out until my next shift came up. So um, I'd been out for about three days at this point. The way I would do it is I would just drive my truck along the parkway, find a good uh, trailhead, and then I would head down usually about you know one to three miles to the first campsite I could find set up there, cook dinner, and then I would just kind of bounce around from site to site and kind of take it easy. So I was in camp and I was cooking some dinner, having a beer, and it was it was probably around midnight. It was pretty late, and this guy just popped into the site. I didn't hear him approach or anything. You know, it really surprised me. But he seemed pretty unsuspecting, so I talked to him for a while, and he was about my age. You know, pretty normal-looking guy, and he wanted to see if he could sleep in my sight um, until morning because it was so late. So I let him, and we had some food, had a couple of beers, and just talked by the fire and went to bed. And the next morning, he was gone. He was gone before I even woke up. Didn't hear him leave. But that's not unusual at all for that to happen, especially like on the Appalachian Trail or something like that, just to share a camp with somebody. But the next day, I got up. I got back in my truck and drove about 30 miles down uh, the parkway, and I was moving southwest. I had waited quite a while. I mean, I waited till later afternoon before I left. It's just kind of the way that that I did it. The way I like to camp if I can, just kind of leisurely and at my own pace. Probably got in at six, seven o'clock to my next site. I got in, I set up, had a really nice quiet evening, and then again that night the same guy shows up. It was weird, but it wasn't weird at the same time. I guess probably from the spot that he said he was. You know, that we were at last where we were on foot would have been only about 18 miles. That's how those trails there kind of work because the road winds a lot and you can skip parts of the road on trails. So I was like, well, if he got up that early and he started moving, then he definitely could have covered, you know, 18 miles in the full day that I was just lollygagging around, you know. I didn't think it was that weird. I figured we were moving the same, same direction and that he was on foot. And so he stayed in my camp again. You know, he said he was hiking, uh, hiking along the Blue Ridge Parkway. So didn't make a whole lot of it. There weren't any red flags at that point that anything was up with this guy. Yeah, and he, he didn't say much about himself, which I found kind of weird. But now uh, he run into all kinds of people, especially in the, you know, kind of in the woods in the south, Appalachians. But the next day when I got up, he was gone again. No warning, didn't hear him get up. He was just, he was out. So I got up again and decided I was going to, see if I could, I guess it was like an experiment. I wanted to see if he was really just hiking or if he was following me because I just had like that kind of a little nagging suspicion, I guess. I've had it before with animals in the woods where I felt like I was being stalked by something. And I kind of had that same weird feeling. So I just moved my truck about a mile down and turned it around and came back and parked on the opposite side of the parkway from where I'd gotten up. And I just dropped down that side and went down a couple of trails uh, with my pack the way I would normally do. And then I, uh, I popped off the trail into some, just like some brush and some rocks to where I couldn't be seen, but I could see my truck down on the road from that spot. And I waited probably, I don't know, I had to wait quite a while because, you know, I figured he was on foot. And so I waited probably about, you know, an hour or two hours. And then I see a car pull up 
behind my vehicle, and it's this guy driving a, a vehicle. And that's when I kind of put it together that he had been looking for my truck. Because yeah. it's got stickers on the back of it. It's pretty recognizable if you've seen it once. And it's one of the only trucks out there, especially that time of year. It was not cold, but it wasn't warm either. And I mean, it's pretty easy for him to find me if that's what he wanted to do. So I figured that out, and sure enough, he got out. He grabbed his pack, and he started heading down the trail, trying to find, you know, where I had gone to camp. And as soon as he passed me and gone, you know, quite a ways down, I uh, snuck back out and got in the truck, and I went 30 miles back the other way, past the first site. I, like, went back to the first site that he, I'd run into him at, and then I went back another 30 miles. So I was now going back north on the parkway. Um, and I was trying to lose him, you know. Uh, but I went into bed, and I was, you know, sitting in camp pretty late again. Uh, I was making a hobo pie, and I was drinking a little whiskey. And sure enough, this guy shows up again. You know, I didn't let on that, that I knew that he was up to something. You know, I was just still real nice to him, gave him some drinks, and we had some food, and I went to bed. And that night, I slept in my hammock instead of my tent, and he was in a tent um, not too far off. So I'm asleep. It was probably, I don't know, 2 or 3 in the morning. It was it was pretty early or late, you know, in that kind of in-between. And I woke up, and this guy was kissing my ear and my neck. And so I just kind of jumped up and... I gave him a good punch to the ribs and knocked him down. And I got out of the hammock and jumped on top of him. I had, you know, I sleep with a knife on me. So I pulled it out and I kind of, you know, took it to his neck and uh, started threatening him. And, you know, I threw him out of camp, mm-hmm. told him to get out. And uh, this guy went for the knife, I tried to grab it out of my hand. And that's when I knew it just was like maybe more than just a, you know, sexual thing. I thought he was going to try to kill me at that point. So I threw the knife out, you know, tossed it out of the way, and just we went with each other for a second and just kind of rolled around. And I was able to kind of grapple him up into a um, it's a chokehold. I don't even know what it's called. It's just a really simple one. With the, it took me about 30, 40 seconds, and he went out totally unconscious. So I tied him up. <laughs> I tied him, tied his hand and feet together, and tied that to a tree. And then I packed up my stuff, and I left. I went back to the truck in the middle of the night, and flashed three of his tires and then i got out of there you're like you're not following me anymore buddy because yeah i was like this is it and I, I guess i somebody had told me that if you uh if you only slash three tires they have to pay for it or something mm-hmm. his insurance won't cover it i don't know something weird but i was gonna make him pay for his tires too yeah well that's crazy i mean did you write down his license plate or anything else or report it to the police i did write down the license plate i didn't report it but actually i wished i had afterwards because it was probably a month or two later, a lady went missing near that area, and they found her tied to a tree. And she said that a man had assaulted her and just left her there. I was like, damn, I was like, that might have been that guy. Still don't know whatever came of it. I don't know if they ever did catch up with him. It's so crazy because you're, you're trying to be nice. You're trying to be accommodating for somebody. And it's never like somebody just shows up and things go downhill right off the bat. It was a slow build to this guy, I guess, having you out in the open and thinking he could, who knows what he was thinking at that point. Um, it's just. Right. You know, and that's a new experience for me. I'm a guy like, you know, that's not something I would normally have to worry about. Yeah. And so it was just like a totally new experience for me to like be put in that position. Yeah, I get it. I bet it gives you an appreciation for women who get put in that situation now, you know. Of course. 
Yeah, it's weird and it's creepy and uncomfortable. So, so all the true crime listening podcast people out there, why the hell did you let him stay with you? Because, <laughs> you know, to, to the way they think. Well, here's the thing, you know, I've, I've been in that same hammock and woke up with like three bears around me. I mean, I had a bear so close I could smell and that's what woke me up. So, you know, I'm not one to, to shy away, especially from people. People are a lot easier sometimes to deal with than animals. Yeah. You know, they're, they're more predictable anyway. People do seem to follow a script. <laughs> you, you know where they're going to go. Yeah. Well, that's creepy, man. And I, I'm glad you're all right. And it sounds like you're a decent guy. I mean, you didn't continue to beat this person to a bloody pulp. You simply choked them out. And then once they went out, you let go. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's admirable, man. Right. <laughs> and then tied them up well, and I mean... left. Yeah, and I figured, you know, it's, it's like I said, a pretty well-populated area, especially during the day. People do day hikes, so you know, somebody was going to find him. You know, I was confident they were going to find him within a couple of days or he would get out of it, so, yeah. you know. I mean, he'd probably get it untied himself eventually, and uh, and, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. and I'm assuming he didn't report it either because he probably knew he was in the wrong. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he had already possibly assaulted people out there. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Our next guest talks about a cabin and what happened out in the woods. Hey, Justin, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing wonderful, man. This is Jerry. Go ahead and start. Okay, awesome. My name is Jerry Myers. I do a podcast called This Is My Jam, and I talk to... I call it interesting people who have important or influential songs that they could share the story of why that song became their jam. Well, that's what I do. But my podcast really isn't much like Peripheral. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not what your story is about at all, is it? <laughs> no, 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 no. What? But there is a song that's tied into it, okay. which I, as I've been thinking about this, you know, so I was, I'm currently at 42 years old. Mm -hmm. So this happened when I was a seventh grader. So it was probably 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. I had a group of friends and we were a bunch of little wannabe hoodlums. We played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. We were obsessed with Led Zeppelin and the occasional stolen beer. You know, like <laughs> we were, we wanted to be tough, but we weren't. We were just a bunch of nerds. Yeah. So how this story started, it, it was fishing opener in Minnesota. I don't know how it works in other states, but you are allowed to, as soon as it hits the next, that day, the, the opener, you can go fishing. So a lot of people will stay up till midnight and start fishing at midnight. And so no one really said this, but I think our excuse to go fishing for fishing opener, because none of us really fished, <laughs> uh, we wanted a good excuse to go camping and just be goofy kids. So there was this place, it's called... Boy Scout Point, and it once was regularly used by the Boy Scouts, so it's not just some weird name. It was this old, dilapidated, cinder block cabin with a fireplace. The windows and the doors were totally knocked out and gone. Just a cement floor, so it wasn't super old, mm -hmm. but it was this old, this cabin that they once used, and it's on this weird river. So. It was kind of a peninsula point. There was river on almost all sides of us except for one. So it was a great place to fish. But we spent Friday afternoon there just screwing around out there in the woods. 
And when it, when it started getting dark, we built a fire and there's a little fireplace in the cabin, you know, had all of our stuff set up and we tried to play D and D out there, but it was dark. It was no table, but we were just kind of screwing around. I, I remember the high school kids would go out there and drink beer and have parties. So there was just a mound of beer bottles out there in the, in the middle of the woods. And I remember there was a stupid beer bottle fight. And we were throwing it at each other. That's just the kind of kids we were. We were rowdy and trying to be rowdier than we re- actually were. So we were trying to be something that we weren't. But <laughs> as most kids are, right? What happened was it, we were partying, just doing our thing. And, we, you know, actually, the song that r- reminds me of this story is Led Zeppelin, No Quarter. Uh-huh. It's that dark, groaning song. For a long time after this, it scared the crap out of me because it reminded me of this time, being out in the dark, feeling helpless. But we were out there, two, there's four of us, and two of us, like me and my one friend, we got tired and we're like, I'm going to get some sleep before midnight so we can fish longer. And my other two friends were like, nah, I'm going to go, we're going to go screw around and fish. They can't keep anything. Yeah. So two of us fell asleep. And about, I think, one in the morning, we slept past opener. We got interrupted from our sleep. Our friends showed up, the two friends, and they were drunk. And they had these two creepy dudes following them. We were like, what's going on? They kicked us. You know, we were asleep, and they the drunkenly kicked us. And they're like, get up, get up. It's time to go fishing. And as we realized that there's these creepy dudes there, we had no clue. I think I recognized one of the guys from, he was much older than us. I think he had graduated high school from the same high school that we were at. I knew kind of who he was, but not really. But the other guy, complete stranger. And I was creeped out from the start because he was just weird. So as we were sitting around talking shit, being dumb, one guy, the creepy guy, kept pushing alcohol on us. He had bottles of Coke, and he had it filled half full of Southern Comfort and then Coke. Yeah. And he was giving it, trying to hand it to us. I was like, man, this dude's too creepy. I'm not going to drink. Otherwise, I totally would have. We were at that point, and if someone would have gave us alcohol, we're like, yeah, let's do this. But I was like, no way, not around this guy. Something inside of me was like, just stay away from him. And my other friend, who was also the guy who grabbed some sleep, he's like, no way, I'm not drinking. I can't do this. But my other two friends that brought these weirdos in were just hammered already from these guys. And so as we are hanging around, we went, went and tried to go fishing. But we had these two drunk friends that were just idiots. They didn't want to fish. And so we went back to the cabin, and they were trying to build a fire. As we found out, the, the creepy guy, his name is Randy. And he's like, hey, I'll, the fire's going down. You guys come with me. We'll get some wood. And for some stupid reason, we walk, two of us, me, the sober guys, yeah. go into the woods, and we're gathering wood in the dark. Oh, God. And, um, yeah, I know. And he's just sitting there talking, acting super chatty. But we're not talking back to him because he's creepy. And we're just trying to figure out what's his deal, you know? And all of a sudden, he's like, uh, I'm not gay or anything. And I'm like, wait a second. That's not a good start of a conversation. Yeah, yeah. He started, like, trying to 
form his sentence of what he's going to say. He said to my friend who was standing there, he's like, could I accept your dick? This, this old guy. And he's, and they're like, what, what? And we, I like, we both grabbed a chunk of wood and we took off and we ran back to the cabin. Okay. And he follows us, of course, because he's there already. And he kept following us around, trying to get us to engage in sexual activity with him. And every time he would see one of us, it's slightly off to the side. He would come to us and say, what would happen if I pulled down your pants and sucked your dick? And uh, so, you know, like it's such a dark, gross story. And uh, he kept chasing us around and he, even a sober guy, the, the, our drunk friends, I, I don't know what he was doing. He didn't chase them around until later, until finally I'm like, you touch me. I'm going to kick you in the balls. I just was like, get away from me. And my other friend did too. But as this time grew, our, our two, he would separate us. And I don't know how he did it because it's a long time. I mean, it's over 30, it's like 30 years ago. Yeah. He would separate us, and 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 then then he like decided that he was gonna pick on our two drunk friends because he realized they were easy, mm-hmm. and we would pull, I, I remember pulling aside one one friend's Bobby. I was like, Bobby, don't go with him, don't go with him, and he's like drunk and loud and wouldn't hear what I was saying because he. He's like, no, man, that's not going to happen. He's cool, right? He's cool. And I was like, dude, he's, he's gonna, he's, he wants to suck your dick. And he's like, no way. You can't reason with a drunk person. He's so drunk that he's not seeing things clearly. His spidey senses have been totally dulled at this point. Absolutely. And I think he took some of the signs as joking. You know, dudes will... At least I, I remember it where, where guys would act gay, like slap some dude on the butt and it was all funny. It's all yeah. fun and games. And so I think both of our drunk friends would just kind of laugh it off, slap back, you know, kind of thing. So they were, you know, like, yes, the spidey sense was gone. And they were just until, until finally Randy's like, we need to get, get some more wood. Bobby, JC, those are the two friends. Come with me. And we're like, no, 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 no. But we were still little kids, and we weren't sure what the other guy, the other friend who wasn't really drunk, we didn't know what their deal was, what the whole deal was. We thought maybe they're both. We were scared to confront them in front of each other. We weren't sure if the other dude was a good guy or a bad guy. I guess I was just thinking that maybe the other dude was also a creep. So we were scared. So we couldn't just yell out, hey, Bobby, hey, JC, stay here. That dude wants to get in your pants. We were scared, as little kids should in that situation with much older adults. Find out later, this Randy guy was probably 21, 22 at the time, and we obviously 12, 13. So we followed in the dark, but trying to stay separate, I was terrified because I didn't know what these guys were up to. And all of a sudden, they go into the woods, and Bobby is screaming, get off me, get off me. And JC also, he was terrified. He was frozen. And we come running over there, and 
JC's pants are to his knees. This Randy guy looks up and he freaks out because he's seen. And we grab our friends and run. And the thing that saved us was his friend that hung out with us saw what was going on and he flipped out and he's like, Randy, let's get out of here. I don't know why you're doing this. Let's go. Anyway, so we grab our drunk friends and drag them back to the cabin. I mean, at this point, we were at least a mile or two away from the nearest house. So it was a terrible situation. You know what I mean? And we didn't know where to go because these two dudes were there. Thankfully, one of them was a good guy. I mean, as good as he can be, considering yeah. his pedophile friend. You well, know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know his character, except he wasn't into little boys. I mean, that's yeah. all I know that was was the situation. We saved our friend. Something happened, obviously, yeah. but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Mm-hmm. Nobody got. I mean, it was a, definitely a sexual harassment assault, uh, very close to an assault yeah. type situation. Like obviously, you pull pull a kid's pants down. I mean that you know, but nothing really, really bad happened. It, it terrified us. Mm-hmm. But like, so we felt lucky. We grabbed our friends, the drunk friends. We brought them back to the cabin. We said, "Go to sleep." And me and this other friend, Travis, we stayed up. I mean, of course, I wasn't going to go back to sleep. Not at this time. There's no way in hell was I going to go back to sleep because I knew that there's this dude out in, at least he was in the water. He was in a boat. They pulled up, but they left. So that happened. <laughs> and the scariest thing for me was, I mean, the whole thing was terrifying. But what stuck with me later, so we swore that we weren't going to tell anybody, mm-hmm. uh, us four guys, because we thought we were embarrassed by it. And as we were in school, one of the drunk friends, I, I, I don't remember which one, Turned to me at lunch and was like, Jerry, Randy was trying to get at you. He wanted you. Mm-hmm. And but you stayed away, but he wanted you. And for some reason, after that terrifying night, when Bobby said that to me, that scared me more than anything. Even though we were out of the woods, we were still, we were safe at our homes, but I had nightmares about that. Mm-hmm. And I was visually terrified around my parents. My mom finally was like, Jerry, what, what happened? And I, I avoided that for a long time. I tried, I just like nothing, mom, nothing. Finally, she kind of cornered me and said, what went on? Cause you are not normal. Yeah. And so I told her this story. And then I told her the whole thing about what Bobby said to me and said, I am terrified that this dude is looking for me still. Because he was in the area, you know? He was from the area. He's local, yeah. Um, Yeah. So I guess it's, it's crazy because the whole thing is just insane. I'm not scared of it now. I don't have any nightmares or anything. Just thinking about this and how it resolved, to be honest. The resolve was um, really weird because after I talked to my mom, um, at the same time, my brother, uh, my older brother, he was in prison serving a three and a half year prison term. And it was probably a year after this happened, I was on the phone with him 
And the news came out that Randy got arrested for molesting a kid. Oh, geez. Yes, yes. So he was sent to prison. Sadly, it was like a year and a half. That's it? That's it. That's it. That's it. It's insane. It's insane. My brother, who, I mean, he did a bunch of dumb crimes. He never really hurt anybody physically. He did three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Well, this Randy dude did a year and a half. While he was there, my brother called. You know, he would call once a week, and we would visit him at, in prison. And, and I go, is there Randy in prison with you from Wilmer or New London? And he's like, yeah, dude, he just came. And I said, he's a child molester. And I told him a little bit of our story. So I guess I've told two people. (laughs) And my brother said to me, he said, Jerry, his life for the the remaining time in prison will be hell. I bet it will. Yeah. He he just put a target on his back. (laughs) Yeah. And and I'm not one, especially now as an adult, I'm not really a vindictive type Mm -hmm. that at the time I wanted nothing more than this guy to just suffer. Yeah. And I mean, I was a little kid too, you know, 13, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And after he did this stuff to us and not just us, I mean, probably multiple kids because he got arrested for one molestation. I'm sure that there was more. I think that kind of lessens the fear and the pain of dealing with that for us because I actually went back to school after talking to my brother and, and I said to my friends, the three friends that were out there, I said, this is what my brother told me. He's in prison. He's going to make Randy's life hell. It's messed up. Revenge is a messed up thing. But at the time, it was the best thing I could imagine for us to know that this guy was going to serve some serious time. And, uh, That's the thing is, if you're a pedophile or a child molester, I have zero sympathy for you at all. And whatever harm comes your way, it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, you're dead to me. You're a kid, so you're just doing what you're doing. But in today's world, I hear about people that go to prison. And it doesn't matter if they're a child molester or killed somebody or in there on a drug charge. They're all treated the same almost. It's like yeah. the, the angry mob of jailhouse justice does not discriminate. And I just think, what do we want our justice to be when it comes to when somebody goes to prison? Personally, I just want the justice to be them being in prison. That's really bad enough. And again, I'm not even trying to criticize you, so don't take it that way. <laughs> just, uh, oh, no, no, no. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Like, I, yeah. I look back at what I said to my brother, and I look back at that feeling of yes good let's make him suffer i look back and i'm kind of embarrassed that that but i was also 14 13 14 years old yeah now i'm like okay okay uh kenny if i was in that situation like ken don't make his life hell it's already hell you know i mean i i don't feel sympathy for a pedophile but i also am like you know it's like it's a it's a it's a tough concept it's a it's hard to say because some part of me is like yeah man hopefully he dies you know but i also am like man hopefully he changes yeah because he's not in there for life you know Mm -hmm. he's gonna get out and actually speaking of him getting out you asked me if i could find him now and i did a whole lot of research searching whatever i could search 
to find this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really remember his how he spelled his last name, so I had to do do all that kind of stuff. And he's not on a pedophile registry anymore. Huh. I mean, it's thirty years, or probably not thirty years, but yeah. it's a long time ago. And so I was shocked that he wasn't still registered. But I did find him. He's still a piece of shit. He got busted for a meth lab. You know, <laughs> this, you know, he's, he's just like he's a piece of shit still. I don't know if he's going back to prison or what. <laughs> it's crazy. I didn't want to spend any money, but I, if I spent some money, I would have been able to find a lot more information about the dude. But yeah, yeah. I put his name in Google, and the first first thing it was a local newspaper that said that he got busted probably a, about four months ago with a meth lab in his house. So did it have a picture of him too or anything? Yeah, he was, he looked like he's been put through the ringer, you know, like obviously he's probably using meth. So he looks like, I mean, he looked like he, he was an old dude who been using meth for a long time and he was very recognizable a long time ago. Plus drugs and craziness that ages a person considerably. It, it reminds me, there's, there's so many different stories it reminds me of. You know, Aaron from the Generation Y, he had a, a guy that kind of was stalking him a little bit uh, when mm-hmm. he was a teenager working at a movie theater. And then when you mentioned the other friend saying, you know, his friend was actually an okay guy, even though he's hanging out with a pedophile. And then I thought of the the Halloween story where the lady was with her friends and the other cars get them to follow them. And then they start beating the shit out of the guy she's with. But yeah. then they turned her attention on her. And the one dude that's standing next to her is like, Hey guys, what'd you hear? Let's get out of here. It's like, he was a nice guy, even though he was hanging out with a bunch of assholes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it's probably not that nice of a guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really when it comes down to it. But in that moment, probably still <laughs> Very much, yeah. He was the lifesaver, probably. Maybe not. We wouldn't have died. They would have changed their lives dramatically if he wasn't there. Who knows what kind of guy he really is, but at the time. Yeah, that's all that matters is in that moment. He did the right thing, I guess. I mean, in the final (laughs) moment. Yeah, Yeah, man. Oh, when you said pictures, the reason why I knew it was him, I remember this Randy guy he wore polarized lenses on his glasses. And I remember he stepped in front of the, we had our fire in our cabin and it was really bright. And you could see, I remember seeing the lenses of his glasses turn dark. And so the picture, new picture that I saw in the local paper, he still had those same damn glasses, still same polarized lenses that were dark. And you could barely, like, I was like, oh, this piece of shit, he's still wearing the same glasses. Yeah, that's my story, man. Like, writing this out, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe I lived this. Yeah. And that I'm not traumatized by it still, because mm-hmm. it's messed up. The openness of it, of being able to talk about it. I think early on when my mom found me, made me talk about it, probably saved me. Because if I would have kept that secret for a long time, who knows? I mean, that's part of therapy is telling it, saying it, saying out in the open what is your trauma? What is your ailment? And 
and saying it enough times that it starts to lose its power over you in a way. I mean, yeah. every therapist is different. I am not a professional therapist, so, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I just, I know that that's part of the healing process. Thank you, Jerry. Some of you might have noticed the music on this episode is a little different. Uh, I'll let you guess what it is. Trust me, there's a hint within the episode. I have to give some big shout-outs to some of my most loyal patrons, uh, Sarah and Jenny. Thank you so much. You guys have donated for a long time and really support the show. Uh, Annie, Brittany, Stephanie, Michelle, Joe Fish, Matthew, Jason, Minds of Madness, Larissa, Jane, Kelly, Dana, Jennifer, Emma, Amber, and Grorf. I hope I'm saying that right. You guys really make the difference with this show. As you know, I don't have sponsors. I have reached out to a few individual sponsors that I felt might fit the show, but never received any response from any of them. So Patreon is the only way I fund the show, and I just can't thank you guys enough. 